0: Check out mom's Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi! Hi! Hello! Enjoy the show. Josephine Caminos Oria is the author of Sombre Mesa, a memoir of food and love in 13 courses. How'd you like my accent there? Josephine was born in the city of La Plata, Argentina, and raised stateside from infancy on in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Gathering around a table large enough to sit her family of eight, plus two for her abuelos on her mom's side, food and the sombre mesa that accompanied it was how Josephine learned to make sense of the world. Stories of where she came from and the people she'd left behind were served to Josephine during family sombre mesas she savored like meals. Those tales nourished Josephine's imagination and sense of self, setting the table for Josephine's second act act—a family and professional life focused around Argentine food and culture. It was in her early 40s, with five young children in tow, that Josephine took a chance on herself, leaving a C level career to make dolce de leche. Today, Josephine, along with her Argentine husband, Gaston, is the founder of La Dorita Cooks, an all natural line of dolce de leche products and Pittsburgh's first resource based kitchen incubator for startup and early-stage food makers. In addition, Josephine is the author of the cookbook as food memoir, Dolce de Leche, Recipes, Stories, and Sweet Traditions. The Oreas, along with their five children, Lucas, Mateo, Nico, Nacho, and Pupe, and golden retriever Andino, are currently living La Vida Lowcountry in Charleston, South Carolina. Welcome, Josephine. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss some bremesa. Did I say that right? Yeah, Sobre Mesa, perfect. Sobre Mesa, a memoir of food and love in 13 courses. Thanks
3: so much for having
0: me. My pleasure. Um, I love the structure of this book that it's like, I just love, it's so great. It's just amazing. Tell me, um, tell listeners what your memoir is about and also what inspired you to write it. So it's that, you know, ultra general coming of age act, but
3: between Las Pampas in Argentina, in the prairie here in the United States. So I was born in Argentina, but grew up in Pittsburgh. And it's really, um, it's not so much about my life. It's about the spiritual direction my life has taken and the signs. And what better day to talk about that than November 1st, el Día de los Muertos, uh, Saints Day, you know. So and it's really just about me finding my place in that in-between. And that includes coming to terms with both of my cultures, which were, you know, beautiful cultures, but Argentina always felt very far away. It came to um, losing a big love of my life that took me, led me to go back home. So the heartbreak that actually led me back to Argentina. And then it's really about um, reckoning those two cultures falling in love again, and then I would say, you know, following the signs, the signs that God gives us, the universe gives us, whatever God is to you or the universe, you know, and where it takes me, so I hope that helps, but also, it's all about conversations around the dinner table, (laughs) so That was probably the first thing I should have said.
0: <laughs> no, it's about all those things. <clears throat> have you read um Lorelyn Jackson's Signs, the book called Signs? No, no. You should pick that up. It's like okay. very on, on message for the story and your other man. Jotting you, it down. The other half, the other man. What did you call him? Hold on, hold on. Let me let me flip to a page. Um, the man who visits uh, the ghost sort of in your story. The Gentleman Caller. The gentleman caller. Sorry. Yes. The gentleman <laughs> caller. I'm like the other half. Yeah. It. Um, yes. Because yes, he's d- from another era, you know? So. <laughs> yes. Um, wait, so why don't we start with that? Tell me about, um, I know you, you track in the book all the times where you, the gentleman caller sort of comes in and out of the narrative of your life. Right. And, and right. Uh, at times when, of course you tell people and it's like, people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. So, right. um, When was the first time the gentleman caller kind of called? And I know this is only one, this is not the main thing, but, you know, since we're talking about signs. Yeah. So he first
3: came to me and my first boyfriend, which was a boyfriend of almost a decade when I was about 22, I would say. Um, And he follows me. So, you know, we believe that this man is a ghost in my parents' home. We just can't reckon it. My parents come home. They're kind of like, you guys are crazy, but, you know, just... Again, these things in my house, like if you talk about ghosts, it also wasn't like, oh my God, what are you talking about? You know, because spirits in the Latin culture are kind of, you know, I don't want to say accepted, but they're just kind of a norm. (laughs) So um, they could be very well. So, and he then continues to haunt me. And I don't want to say haunt because that sounds like a very negative word, but he continues to appear to only me. Um, my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend at the time trip is the only other person who's ever seen him. And then when I come to a realization, a reckoning of who he is 20 years later, okay, you know, I'm, I'm this man will pop in and out of my life and he really catches me off guard. And a lot of the times I don't really understand it's him till he's gone, if that makes any sense. You know, the hairs on my neck will alert me, but takes that time to digest. But when I do understand who he is, I realized I had met him when I was 16. Um, and and you know, that's he helped me through a car accident, a very terrible car accident.
0: But yeah, I, you know, that. I don't realize that till years
3: and years later.
0: Can we discuss the car accident? Because my jaw was like on the ground as I was reading about what happened to you. I couldn't and you went flying through the windshield. They found you next to the car. Oh my gosh. Um you know, I have a 16
3: and 17 year old. And I think of that car accident as they're like newly minted drivers. And I'm like, dear God, I'm I'm yelling at them to take this 30 speed, you know, mile per hour speed curve, you know, slower. When the tragedy of what my brother and I did, we were driving to Miami from Pittsburgh, which is like a 22 hour trip. We tended to caravan all together. My family, we had a family of eight and we would just want to get through the, you know, through the trip. So I think I had my driver's license for two days It was about midnight and my brother was trying to convince me to jump over the bench seat of a suburban to take over. My mom wouldn't let me drive. So she was behind in another car and somehow he wore me down. I don't know if you have brothers, but I
0: do. I have a brother and I understand. Oh my God, stop,
3: stop. Okay. Okay. One hour, then we'll switch back. And anyway, he had it on cruise control. I don't even know that I knew what cruise control was. You know? um, I still I, cannot I think, do
0: cruise control, by the way. Yeah, do they I, even I have, have that? Not, oh, I, I,
3: yeah, no, mm-mm. I don't trust myself with it. So um, for good reason. So I couldn't gain control of the car and it's going 70 miles per hour. And did I mention it's a suburban packed? you know? So anyway, we hit the guardrail thank God. Well, the center, not the guardrail. Thank God no one else was on, you know, the road because these are like the I-95 at that point is like four or five lanes, you know, and we just tumbled and tumbled. And yeah, you know, somehow I ended up outside of the car, but the only thing, I mean, I had scratches and bruises, but the only big thing I had was one of my eyes um, had glass all in it, you know, and I've lived that, that minted me with a new astigmatism that I've lived with since, but you know, Crazy. And then my brother walked away, I think, with a broken arm and some bruised ribs. My grandfather was in the car. Um, you know, and I think he just walked away with a neck break. You know, it's just incredible.
0: Oh my gosh. I got into a, an accident when I was 18. Like again, I'd had my license for like a minute right, and I lost control of the car, same way, and I like didn't know if I should turn into the skid or turn away from it, like that whole thing anyway. And I also yeah. crashed in the middle of the thing, but it you was during. I think it's that panic,
3: yes. that panic when you do this, and somehow the axle broke. I don't know, yeah. I mean, it was fully, fully, fully. And I do not take all the blame because my brother is 50% too, so I always remind him, but yeah, it's incredible. We walked away and. My recollection of that accident, now I did wake up in the hospital, but it kind of left me in shock for several days and I couldn't talk. It was right before Christmas. And, um, you know, there was someone else there that all of my family claims was not. So that's sort of where the story of my gentleman caller begins.
0: Oh my gosh. Wow. That is wild. Well, it's sort of nice to have the comfort that you have basically a guardian angel of sorts, right? I mean, Know, I I don't know,
3: yeah, yeah. I think I think that there was, um, more than a guardian angel, I haven't seen him since where my book leaves off, which was my god, I can't even think, um, like eight years ago. Or, um, I think more his, um, whoever he is, you know, is an ancestor of mine, and I'm named after that ancestor, and I think he was playing out. I don't want to say his own purgatory but you know i think he was playing out the reckoning of how to find his way back to the table you know back to Svodomissa, so yes
0: um so tell me more also about the food and the meals and now you've like dedicated your life to this and all the recipes that you include and right. the importance of the family meal and all of that
3: yeah so
0: i grew up you know in
3: pittsburgh but our home was argentine if that makes any sense once you once you entered those doors spanish speaking the food was argentine you know and it's very similar for all immigrants it's um my parents never liked to coin themselves as immigrants you know but it's you you keep you make a home with what you grew up with you know with what gives you that comfort so we mostly ate very argentine and one of those rules was sitting at a table napkin in lap you know, all eight of us, we always had the same seats, Um, all the women on one side nearest the kitchen, the men on the other side, (laughs) very Latin. I definitely talked about a lot of machismo at the dinner table. Um, And um, we just, the the rule was you had to sit, you had to sit until you were excused, you know? And um, it wasn't formal. It wasn't like these formal, you know, it was just, you had to stay until the conversation was done. And so a lot of times that's tough and it's tough for parents too, because how annoying is it when, how many kids do you have four? Last time I checked. (laughs) (laughs) So how annoying is it when they're like, can I get up now? Can I get up now? You're know, you almost like, yes, just get up so I can talk to my husband or, you know, (laughs) I don't know, but so it's really just about sitting and staying because it's really about the food, but it's. So much more than the food, you know, the Sobre Mesa, which is that time you spend around the table after the food's gone, that's like the fifth and final meat course, you know, that's kind of like what serves up the real nourishment. Um, and that's when, you know, the real conversations start coming out, when your guard is down, and whether it's something that's been bothering you eating at you, no pun intended, you know, but or if you have a beef with someone at the table, Or you just finally, you know, confess something, hey, I'm not feeling good at school or I didn't have anyone to eat lunch with, you know, it's that's when we get the kids that and when they were little, I used to get them right at bedtime, you know. (laughs) But so, you know, we just grew up that way and it was a really important part of our culture. And I believe it gave in me a sense of self of who I was. You know, I say in the book that it wasn't only, you know, a, a part of nourishment, a part of our nightly tradition but it was a way for my parents to pass down their argentine cultures beyond dna and that's important we can have the dna but if it's not instilled
0: i love that i love thinking there. about the idea of the nourishment of the meal coming after the food has been cleared
3: yeah i mean and that no, it, it's a lot because the food is is a portal you know food is a portal it is it's a portal to something else so it opens up conversation but also i don't know can you recall any time where you've eaten something and it stopped you in your tracks and it's like someone's walking beside you
0: yes like yeah. a chessman cookie which is like my grandmother so <laughs>
3: right right so in this book it's like you eat something and as long as we're making the recipes of those who passed before us um you know it's it's like they they're still alive they're still there with us
0: it's true. Um, no, my grandmother actually made this cake. Um, and for the longest time after she passed away, we could not, there, nobody could find the recipe. It was so good. It was like this sponge chocolate chip sponge cake with this really like inch thick, great chocolate frosting. It was so yummy. And, uh, and then I finally found like this tiny little scrap from like a back of a magazine. I was like, I think this is it. And then my mother-in-law who was a baker was like, no, no, this doesn't make any sense. So she like redid all the ingredients and like, we had this one cake and I was like, this is it. And then my mother-in-law passed away. So now I'm not going to get the cake again. Yes, anyway, it was yes, just that that one moment, just the taste of yeah. it. And now it has like all sorts of memories. So yes, I love how food just conjures up um, yeah. love. I mean, really, that's what it yeah. is. Right? It's love and experience.
3: Put it out to her. Put it out to her today on November 1st. Hey, send me that recipe if you can, please.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're in... Um, there's the movie my kids watch all the time. Coco, right? De- De- oh De- yeah. I don't know. My how- loved that. Oh my gosh. It was so good. Um, so tell me about, about the writing of this book. What was it like for you to like relive all of this stuff? And, um, you know, you yeah. shared so much of your private relationships with the reader, which I loved. And it was like so fun getting to know you as you went through everything. Um, yeah. so what was it, what was it like just like sitting down and doing this? Well, it was really
3: cathartic. It was also really frightening. And I had like a love-hate relationship with Sobremesa. I wanted to break up with her several times. <laughs> I tried to. I tried to, I tried to divorce her. I even like literally tore up 380 pages once in my I think my oh, husband was my looking gosh. at me from the other room. This was during the pandemic. And I think all of my kids were like, no one bother mom. <laughs> no one go near mommy today. But um I got the idea for this book, and it's really it's it's really challenging because it's a memoir, and I've only written a cookbook. So, you know, typically you don't write a memoir unless you're famous, unless you know, some grand event has happened to you. And while there's some trauma in the book, it's no, it's not unlike any trauma that's happened to anyone else, but it's more about the spirituality of it and me wanting to really introduce the tradition of Sobre Mesa to here in the United States where there is no translation, you know, and what better time does this come to me than at the pandemic when like, we're really all wanting to have a seat at the table. But, and so I released my first cookbook on dulce de leche in 2017. That book contains like snippets of the recipes, like snippets of the memories behind them. And that book left me with such a taste that I wanted to really tell our Argentine story. You know, I see so so little of Argentina and the Latin culture here, and I really wanted to add to that and bring flavor to that. And so I started trying to write it in 2018, and I would grapple with why am I writing a memoir? And I knew the story in my head. I almost wanted to remove myself from it and make it fiction, just you know, so I so it wouldn't be about me, but it would be about the message in the story. And I just couldn't, I couldn't because I had, you know, I had been a CFO for 20 years. Like my, my story was already out there, my bio, my company was named La Dorita, my grandmother's Dorita. So there was no way to remove myself. So finally I had to just, you know, settle in with, okay, I'm gonna write about myself. And when you do, and I know you're writing a memoir, you really have to determine how vulnerable am I gonna be and how real, because if you're not, there's holes. You know, it's like you're. It's not the real truth when you have some omission, and that's really tough. You know, and but people want to know the truth. Not not everyone will agree with what you say, but um. So I wrote it for about a year. Um, I would obsess. You know, I was working full time, so I would obsess and wake up at like two a.m. when it would just come to me, and I took tons of long walks on the weekends, um, and I would get my. You know, it's almost like it would download. And I just couldn't get the storyline right, though. You know, it was during This Is Us, and I kept trying to think I'm this magnificent writer and, like, doing, like, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> and then, I, you know, like, my husband would read it or read part of it, and he'd be like, I'm confused, and I've lived this with you, you know? <laughs> so it took me a long time. Um, I did get a first draft. I then had, like, an editor that I used for my first book that I just, a private, you know, um, which I can always give her name out if anyone wants. She's spectacular. Um, and then I started querying it and just nothing, you know, I probably queried 200, 300, you know, people I wanted to get an agent. Well, you know, uh, uh, independent publishers and agents and just nothing. And I kept getting almost no feedback. And finally it was like, someone said to me, I love your story. I actually love the story, but first of all, who are you to write this story? Like, and and second of all, In other words very nicely but what's your platform and second of all it's just it's not cohesive so the pandemic hit and i had really been like grappling do i do i continue with this and one day my husband said to me you just need to write the damn thing because if you talk to me about it one more time so believe it or not those 380 pages that i had like ripped up granted i saved it on my mac (laughs) But we sat down and in two weeks I rewrote, I reconfigured, you know, I had like my timeline, reconfigured it. And um, it it just, he sat down and read every single chapter with me, which is something my husband and I we've worked together, but don't, you know, and um, it just worked. Wow. It just worked. Story came together and maybe it took that time with the pandemic. We had a food company So we we have a food company. So we were completely, you know, all public things stopped. So we were at home with our five kids and it just, it just came together, but it almost didn't. You know, I think if the pandemic hadn't happened, I may still be grappling with it.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: So how did you manage
0: the food business piece of the pandemic? Like, how did you have to? Really
3: challenging. Um, So we have a food um, product, um, Dulce de leche, and we also have um, an incubator kitchen, which is we have like startups who come and work out of our space. We have a 6,000 square foot building and all these different kitchens. And that's instead of like building their own, they come and use ours. So we have anyone from like, a huge meal subscription company, which does thousands and thousands of dollars a week to, you know, a grandma who likes to do the seasonal farmer's markets and sell her quiches and sauces and wedding soup. So just kind of everything, but they are all businesses. So that really, it all kind of just halted except for our meal subscription companies, which those members kept us going. And if we were to close, everyone was to close. Do you see what I mean? So it was a lot of pressure on us. We have about 23 companies. And if I closed our doors, I was closing them on all of those companies. The dulce de leche side of it really suffered. Um, and now we're looking to ha- see how we can have someone manufacture it just because the milk, everything went up in ingredients so much that we couldn't, it no longer made sense to make it. And my husband and I um, have an Argentine, we do Argentine food. And that just got obliterated. So, you know, it was really hard because we were doing large corporate events and cooking classes for doctors. You know, we did a lot of team building and all of that just disappears. And the really hard part was that you were having to return a lot of money for, Mm. you know, deposits and stuff. So anyway, it led me to move down to Charleston, South Carolina with my kids. We still have the company. We still have the culinary incubator kitchen. But I came down to help my brother who has a real estate brokerage company because he was killing it while food was being obliterated real estate soared, And so I just knew I needed to pad our income, you know, to keep the company going so that. So it hasn't been easy, but I will tell you, I'm still in Charleston. My husband is in Pittsburgh and, you know, we just make it work Um, and we're looking to start something down here. So probably sell Pittsburgh, but keep, make sure it keeps going, you know, the culinary incubator, but it really, it really turned our lives upside down. And in all of that, I published the book, you know, the book came out. So.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I helped actually my, my husband's grandmother um, has this amazing crumb cake recipe. So a couple mm-hmm. years ago I helped them like turn it into a business um, and they were in Charleston. Yes. Um, it's called Nini's Treats, and they did find a yeah, co-packer yeah. actually, and so it's manufactured in Texas somewhere. But you can yeah. get it on Goldbelly. But I should send you a, a cake or something. But anyway, it's really oh yummy. God, I'll check it out. But we did spend like I was. We were trying to find space in Charleston, and like they did share a kitchen. And yeah. anyway, I've been in that world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it had yeah, to be chips frozen, world. and like it was like a whole thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. Food is very bureaucratic. You no, know, people don't
3: realize it. Like they're like, oh, I have this recipe. I'd love to do it. And then once they realize the 25 hurdles they have to jump through. A lot. And, you know, it's
0: a, yeah. Um yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It should be, you know, we're we're ingesting that food. But yeah, it's it's we talked to also know. the um the famous um <clears throat> who's the famous biscuit company in Charleston? Have you been there? Oh
3: Cali's, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So we like yeah, got in touch yeah. with Callies and try to use their yeah. copacker and I don't know anyway. Um. yeah. She's but
3: releasing a book now. She's releasing a book? I think so. It's like easy dinners or something. Yeah. You should do a thing with her. I know. I know. We'll see. Okay.
0: <laughs> she's kind of Charleston royalty though. <laughs> still, I mean, Charles yeah. world of Charleston food. I mean,
3: I know, I know. So um, it's fine. Can, you, can you still, can you.
0: you still buy your dolce de leche? Like, could I go online and buy it?
3: So it's still in some supermarkets in Pittsburgh, but no longer online, but you know, i just need to find the right co-packer. The issue with the dulce de leche is there are dulce de leche companies here, but it's not real dulce de leche. You know, they use like press, they use powdered milk that they reconstitute with oil, you know, really it's. You know, dulce de leche is a jam. I know that sounds so bad, milk jam, but it's really milk just boiled, boiled, boiled. Up. There should never be oil in it, you know? Um, so I'm really having a problem finding it. There's also that flip side, which the real, real, real thing is still not manufactured here, which obviously is an opportunity, but it's also a challenge. So. Interesting. Well, Well,
0: if you want, I mean, I'm sure you've done your investigation, but it took a long, long time to find the right co-packer for Nini's Treats. So if you want that information, let me know. I can get it. My My sister-in-law is running that business now, but, um, oh, great. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, okay. So now you're in Charleston, you have the book out What next? You're like, are you going into real estate? Are you like, what is the and are you gonna how are you gonna keep writing and cooking like? Right. Well,
3: I've been been wearing many hats for so many years now. You know, before I started my company in 2009, the food company, I was the CFO of a large medical company in Pittsburgh. So I did that for eight years plus my food company. So now I look at it as we have our food company. I'm an author and. Um, you know, we're gonna do something down here. I'm also doing real estate, but it's just really many hats, but whatever has to make it work. And I definitely have an idea for a new book. My youngest daughter is nine, and it's actually a series. I'm really looking to do kind of like a YA slash middle grade, you know, um food mystery, all fiction, you know, definitely have it have that spanglish feel. Um but sort of like Judy Bloomish, but <laughs> um, incorporating food and um, just a lot of flavor there, you know, for young girls and boys, hopefully that like, that would include recipes too, and would let them like start cooking in the kitchen. I'm very much an advocate that kids should know by the age of eight to make their own eggs. You know, they, it's, it's a self-preservation tool to cook. And also it's a way to learn to love yourself and to love others. So, but that's brewing in my head. I haven't had that lightning bolt yet to like sit down and write. So I try to go on walks and, you know, I invite my spirit guides. I'm like, come on, give meet divine inspiration. I need that. But in the meantime, until we sell our company in Pittsburgh and kind of figure out the dulce de leche side, I am focusing on real estate because the pandemic, if anything, it's, it made entrepreneurship very real.
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
3: uh, you just have to keep, um, you have to keep on producing income no matter how it is. So with the books, I'm not at that point yet. So I do have to continue to pad otherwise, but we are constantly, my husband and I, when he's here, we're looking at spaces, you know, we really want to create our own Argentine food concept here. And while, you know, in Pittsburgh, we help a lot of entrepreneurs. I feel that in doing that business, we kind of lost ourselves and what mm-hmm. we wanted to do together, we were doing it, but more on like a corporate level, and now we want to do it for the public. and you know, I think Charleston's a great place to do it. So, so there's lots of hats, you know, um it's just how how to get it all done, right? Yes, yeah. like
0: and five kids mom,
3: right, Moms don't have time to read. Moms don't have time to write all the time. It's true,, yeah. so your kids are nine yeah. to what. So my youngest is nine. She's a girl. And then my oldest is 18. The other four are boys. So I've got an 18, 16, 15, and 13-year-old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, I mean, just like a lot of people, you know, it's been challenging. It's also been a blessing to have them home last year, but it really derailed so many plans that we could, you know, your time was our time. My time was so limited, just like so many others, but good things came out of it too. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. I am waiting for that divine inspiration because the real thing, you know, my my goal is to really be a full time writer. That's what I would love. So you got to work towards it.
0: I love your series idea. That sounds really good. Thank the middle you. grade series. I'm serious. That yeah. sounds that sounds yeah. really good. Um, yeah. You should just. You and should and I have so many
3: story. stories because, like, do you hear your like? I'll. I have this little journal here. I don't journal, but I write things down, you know, and, and um, and I'll like. I hear my daughter talking, or my kids talking, and I'm like, "Oh my god, you cannot make this stuff up!"
0: You yes. know, <laughs> the best I have thing.
3: like a research pool right in front of me.
0: Totally, I know, I know, and I'm like, "Where should I write this?" You know, I'm gonna no, yeah. I'll remember, and then of course I don't remember. <laughs> Last yeah, night I had yeah. the best. I was putting my son to bed and. And he goes, I finally believe you that I'm not adopted. <laughs> and I would know, be like, look so much alike. And he looks just like everyone else in the family. But I'm oh, like, oh, yeah, why is that? He's like, well, and he's six. He's like, "Yeah," because you love books. And now I love books. And I was like, oh. that just made my life.
3: <laughs> oh, that is so great. That is oh so God, cute. And I love a six year old that loves books.
0: Too. I know. It's so cute. I was like, okay, I got one. <laughs> Like, are any of my kids going to want to read? Anyway. Um, Wow. Well, this is great. Um, Tell me any advice for aspiring authors.
3: Oh, gosh. Um, I think I'd say, first of all, just get out of your own head. You know, because sometimes we are our worst enemies where we have this idea. and, And I've talked to a lot of people. I've actually had people ask me, how do I know if I'm a writer? And I'll look at them and I'll say, do you have an idea? Have you written? And no, no, I haven't published anything. Well, have you tried? You know, it's like if you can't, if the story won't leave you alone, it needs to come out. So give yourself a chance to be a writer, you know, and it just takes a lot, a lot of dedication, a lot of patience, because you know, all those no's that you'll receive, the um, the the non-answered queries, which are, you know, even I think sometimes the non answered ones are worse than the no's, you know, cause it's just like, you feel invisible after all this time you've put into things. Um, and you just have to get that one. Yes. You know, and with both of my books, I spent a ton of time in Barnes and Nobles and other stores looking at books like mine, seeing who the agents are, if I could find it, who the publisher is, you know, you have to really just do a ton of, um, a ton of research on like what the market is, who who are the publishing houses that, that would maybe, you know, best be home for you. And um, the other thing I would say is, you know, a lot of people say write every day, write every day. I, it's not realistic, at least not in my world. You know, um, if you're not writing every day, it's OK. But I would always make sure to get out and walk in nature because that's when I would seem to be able to clear my head enough. And in my case, I wrote in the middle of the night, you know, usually when my kids were asleep um, or but there would be times where we'd be going to dinner and my family would be like sending me really mean texts because they'd be all waiting in the car. And I'd be like, I would have I been in the shower and I would have gotten something <laughs> and I'd have like a turban in my hair and I'm writing and I have them all in the car. So <laughs> you can't become very self-absorbed, right? You know, but I would just say keep doing it. And um The other and final thing I would say about it is, if you're writing, protect your work, protect your ideas and protect your heart. Because if you start telling too many people about it, not everyone is going to see it like you see your work, You know, so you really have to find your voice. Whether it's a fictional character's voice, if you're writing a memoir, it's really your voice. Because if you start sharing it with brothers, sisters, a couple of friends here, your voice gets lost and you start taking in all these ideas before you've really flushed this thing out yourself, you know? And I kind of learned that the hard way and um, you have to really protect yourself and remember what we remember in life. What what is our truth? Someone sees it through a different lens, you know, so really protect your work until you're ready to share it and choose two or three people, you know, Not, not, you know, um, that you really admire, maybe someone, let's just say if you're writing a memoir, maybe someone who you know professionally, but doesn't know your life, you know, mm-hmm. that's always a good thing to have someone read it who doesn't know you well. And then one or two confidants, but it, you have to remember if you start wanting the approval of all, it's just not going to happen. And and you sacrifice yourself for that approval.
0: Good life lesson too. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: certainly. <laughs> Certainly. Um wow. Well, Josephine, thank you. This was so fun to talk to you. And I hope yeah. that one day you do become a full time writer and that, you know, the dream comes true and the spirit yeah. guides sort of lead you down that path. So um yeah, I thank say get you. to work on the on the children's book, on the mill grade series. I think that's how I, awesome. so. I know. I will. I
3: will.
0: Thanks so okay. much,
3: Civia. I appreciate it. And good All luck right. with your own writing. Thank
0: you. Okay. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs>
1: Imagine.